This is the Daily Perspective Podcast for Thursday, January 7th, 2020. The day after. Wow, has the last 24 hours been bizarre. Mark Congleton here, your sometimes humble host for this podcast of observation, insight, and uh, a bit of absurdity from time to time. Hoping that you and yours are well. There is so much to be said about the events of yesterday. There was not much to talk about as far as the way things would turn out yesterday morning. As as far as the behavior of our representatives and senators in Congress is concerned, I was pretty much dead on yesterday. I told you I didn't hold out much hope that um, that uh, I expected, essentially expected these men and women to, especially on the Republican side of the aisle, to weaken under pressure, and some of them did. Some of them truly did. In, in one example... Leffler from Georgia, Kelly Leffler from Georgia, who after the, the the march on on the Capitol building yesterday, and those people uh, who I'll talk about later, uh, those people pushed through and got in. A- after all of that happened, she, contrary to what her constituents would want her to do, said that she could no longer stand with the objections to the call, the uh, counting of the votes. So Kelly Leffler, in her last pressure moments, in her last opportunity under pressure, failed the people of Georgia. Which tells you, essentially, what happened yesterday. And I got to be honest with you, my opinion is that what happened yesterday with those people marching on on the Capitol and uh, pushing through the Capitol Hill police, which, by the way, I thought was interesting. The Capitol Hill police were in place. The National Guard had already been activated. They They were present. They were there. And yet, these people were still able to force their their way into the building and to do the things they did? How? How is that possible? We're talking about one of the most secure places on the planet. Surpassed only by the White House. How could this have happened? It's one of those things that makes you go, hmm. Well, in addition to making me go, hmm, it makes me ask, do you think possibly this could have been orchestrated? Now, I realize this is the realm of conspiracy theory, but um, I still have to ask the question, do you think that this could have been orchestrated? Because I do. 
I think it's entirely possible. And here's why. We have seen the people for months at Trump rallies. We see these people who love their country and hate seeing what's been done to it. We yesterday saw the people, their families with kids, and, and we saw the atmosphere, the general atmosphere. And we saw that it was peaceful, it was enthusiastic, it, uh, it, was, mm, it was not tolerant of the wrongdoing, but it wasn't misbehaving. And generally speaking, whenever you have conservative people gather in this fashion in Washington, D.C., what happens is that the Park Service doesn't have to clean up because those who show up do their own cleanup. Those who show up actually are well-behaved. Those who show up, conservative people, that is, when these gatherings happen, those people are examples to everyone else. Now, when they have Earth Day gatherings, when they have anything that has to do with leftists and liberals, everything is trashed. But generally speaking, conservative people in gatherings like this are respectful and well-behaved. So when we see a group of people supposedly representing those who were in Washington, D.C. yesterday for the Stop the Steal rally, when you see these people rushing Capitol Hill and breaking in um, into, the, uh, <laughs> into, into Congress and doing all manner of things, I, 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 I cannot help but say these people don't represent, especially you and I, they don't represent us, but I don't think they represent the people who were there for the rally yesterday. I think certainly in any large group, and when I say large group, I mean a, a cross-section of people from across our nation. When you, when you have any large group, you are going to have a minority of that group who are going to misbehave in some way, shape, or form. But some of the things that happened yesterday smack of, of radical leftism. And I realize there have been some advocating that sort of behavior on the right. They, they think that we have to do what the radical left has done in order to win. And what they miss is that to do what the radical left has done, we would have to go into a time machine and go back into the past in order to correct what has happened. Because they've been working on what they've been working on for a long time. A long time which is how they can get away with what they're getting away with now because they laid groundwork. And that's something that we haven't done. What's happened on our side is that Republican politicians have perfected losing with dignity. If they can't win on their own terms with dignity, then they would prefer to lose. And so, People like Mitch McConnell stand before a crowd in Washington, D.C., 
before all of these people and beg them not to usurp the will of the people and the Constitution. When what's actually going on is the usurpation of the will of the people and the Constitution. There will always be those who misbehave regardless of the core intent of your group. There will be those who get a little too, little too amped up and they do things wrong. But yesterday, I'm sorry, it just sets off all my buzzers, bells and whistles. Something about what happened yesterday just doesn't fit. It just isn't right. Something about yesterday, that response, those people rushing the Capitol up the steps, being allowed in by the Capitol Police, something about that is just not adding up. Two and two are not making four. And at some point, I'll see some information in this next 24 to 48 hours that will make things click for me. This is usually how things are, and if you're one who pays attention, you understand that because you've been paying attention for long enough, hopefully, to have seen this pattern. And the pattern is that you're presented with images on the news. Something doesn't sit right with you, and in the next day or two or three, you start seeing things popping up that tell the rest of the story. Well, I think there is a rest of the story that we don't have yet. But what we do have is the knee-jerk reactions of the press and of politicians. And this morning, as I watched the early news, I was disappointed by what I saw. On conservative news, even on Newsmax, people talking about things as though that's really what went on. When... Something in me is saying, no, that's not right. And yet they're still saying, that's what went on. So, aside from the stories and odds and ends that I have pulled up today, I don't think I'm going to talk too much about that beyond what I've already said. I don't think what happened in D.C. yesterday represents the movement that has been built by Donald Trump. I think... That was an insurrection inside the movement orchestrated and organized from outside the movement. And I think that what we're watching now in the press and in politics is an example of blatant hypocrisy. Because they've spent the past several months ignoring violence, looting, burning billions of dollars, not millions, billions of dollars in damage to cities across America. And they've just said, eh, they're just venting, they're letting off steam, no big deal, protest. Who says peace to, uh, protests have to be peaceful? They've just shrugged it off as though it's no big deal. But yesterday... Oh, now that was a big deal. That's horrible. It's evil. And sadly, many people that you and I have trusted and have thought were level-headed and were right-thinking have, for the sake of their political careers, have sided with those people saying that this was all Trump's fault yesterday. 
I would suggest that over the next couple of days you pay very close attention to what is said and who says it. Because there are going to be some people who need to be dealt with at the ballot box the next time we have an opportunity. Because those people are cowards. Those people are two-faced. Those people need to be eliminated from office before they do any more damage or allow any more damage to be done. It's going to be an interesting next couple of years. The Biden administration, which is a sure thing now, because President Trump has agreed to an orderly transition, the Biden, the Biden administration is going to seek to rebuild, to recover from the damage done to the Obama fundamental transformation of the United States of America that was done by the Trump administration. And thank God for the past four years, because a lot of the damage that Obama and his minions did was undone. And now they have to go back to square one in many cases and start over again. And you and I, as a result of the last four years, are wiser to what they have done and we recognize the damage they intend. And so for the next couple of years, we can keep a close eye on things and remind people, which is our responsibility. After all, they work for us. They are supposed to be us there. We should remind these people that this was part of the fundamental transformation of the United States of America spoken of by Barack Obama. And they're trying to do it again. And then what we learned from the past four years with President Donald Trump was it can be stopped and it must be stopped if the United States of America is to continue to be that shining city on a hill that the rest of the world looks to when it is in need and in danger. And if we don't protect that shining city on a hill by being vigilant and demanding that things be done properly, we not only endanger ourselves, we abandon the rest of the world which depends upon us. It's the Daily Perspective. Welcome back. During the break, skimming through things to talk about. Let's get. Let's do this first. I mentioned that uh, President Trump had agreed to an orderly transition, though Congress, coming from, uh, by the way, from the FederalistPapers.org, though Congress had to pause the Electoral College vote certification on Wednesday due to the attack on the Capitol building. After all of the dust settled and after Capitol Hill law enforcement officers and the U.S. Secret Service secured the area, members in both chambers reconvened to finish the job. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell labeled the day's events as a, quote, failed insurrection, end quote, and said that the people who tried to disrupt our democracy did not succeed. Quote, the United States and the Senate will not be intimidated. We are back at our posts. We will discharge our duty under the Constitution for our nation, and we are going to do it tonight. 
That was made clear through the course of the evening as Congress muddled through the rest of the certification process with a number of GOP lawmakers and senators who were originally intent on objecting to certain state certifications changing their minds and going through with the process without objecting. As I mentioned earlier, the cowards. It all came to a head at 3.41 a.m. Eastern when Vice President Mike Pence confirmed Biden's victory after all votes were certified as the Constitution requires. Just minutes after Pence's announcement, White House Deputy Chief of Staff Dan Scavino posted an update on Twitter confirming that President Donald Trump would commit to an orderly transition of power following Congress's results. Scavino had to make the announcement for the president, as all major social media platforms had suspended the president's accounts on the heels of Wednesday's violence. Even though I totally disagree... With the outcome of the election and the facts bear me out, nevertheless, there will be an orderly transition on January 20th. I have always said we would continue our fight to ensure that only legal votes were counted. While this represents the end of the greatest first term in presidential history, it's only the beginning of our fight to make America great again. In updated reports, a total of four Americans died during the raid on the Capitol building yesterday, including an Air Force veteran who was shot inside the building as she attempted to gain access to the House chamber. The three additional deaths, which were reported much later in the night, were only reported to have been medical emergencies, with no further reports on exactly what that entails. It's important to remember that President Trump has said he was going to fight until there was no fight left to have, and that's exactly what he did. He kept continuing to push forward for a constitutional solution to obvious vote fraud and manipulation by the left. And what happened yesterday was the capitulation by Republicans, including Vice President Mike Pence, which allowed the Democrats to control the presidency, the House, and quite possibly the Senate. It looks like it's the Senate, too. And the last time that happened was the first two years of Barack Obama's presidency. And if you'll recall, he didn't do much. Not much happened during that first two years of his presidency. It didn't start really happening until his second term. And that's because he knew there would be no, he and his handlers, his, the people who actually called the shots, who will be the same people behind Joe Biden, by the way. Those people understood that it was necessary for him to have a second term in order to accomplish their goals. And if he started doing those things in his first term, there would be no second term because the people would get rid of him. They already wanted to. They tried to. And his his second term election, his re-election, was also, I believe, the product of massive vote fraud. And I've said so before. But they understood that if he tried to do what he what they really wanted to do in his first term, there would be no second term. But when there was a second term, it didn't matter. So he could pull out all the stops. And they did. 
So you can expect that again this time, at least I think. They may be gutsier than before because they believe they can get away with more. It remains to be seen. They may claim that the will of the people demands that they do things which are completely unconstitutional, and they may press forward. We'll see what happens. But President Trump vowed to fight until there was nothing, no other option. And that's exactly what's happened here. That's exactly what's happened. Now, Twitter and Facebook shutting him down is ludicrous. They have shut down individual tweets before, but they've never pulled him completely off before. And they use this as an excuse to do so. After he tweeted to tell people to go home in peace, to don't do these things, go home. Don't play into the hands of these people. Which is exactly what happened. Because the left wanted violence. The left wanted something to start boiling over. The left wanted there to be a lot to report on to condemn the image of Donald Trump. And if you notice today on the news, that's pretty much all that's happening. It's all Trump's fault. It's all on his shoulders. It's all his fault. Just like they said during 2016 in the campaign when there was violence at his events. They said, it's his fault. This is the kind of people he attracts. And we learned very quickly that those people were not Trump supporters. Those people were radical leftists, anarchists, who were there to fight and encouraged to do so. So the news media would condemn Trump and everything he represented. And I think yesterday that happened again. I may be wrong, but I don't think I am. We'll see. As I said, let's wait and see. From DailyWire.com, Ryan Saavedra reports multiple reports surfaced late yesterday evening stating that members of President Donald Trump's cabinet have reportedly started discussing the possibility of using the 25th Amendment to remove the president from office following the violence that broke out in Washington, D.C. after a rally that the president held ahead of the Electoral College certification. Why am I bringing this to you? Because this is what you're going to hear today, all day, the 25th Amendment. Both CBS and ABC News reported that the cabinet secretaries had started talking about the idea although no plan had yet been formally presented to Vice President Mike Pence. The House Judiciary Committee, controlled by the Democrat Party, called on Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment to remove Trump from office. Pay close attention here. The Democrats started this. They started this. Quote, President Trump remained silent even as insurrections broke windows, threatened U.S. Capitol Police, and scaled the walls of, our, of the Capitol. The letter says, earlier in the morning, President Trump held a rally at the White House and told protesters, I'll be with you, and encouraged them to march to the Capitol to protest the certification of the Electoral College votes. And now the New York Times adds, a source, you notice it's just a source. There is no naming, there is no... There is no clarification. There is no substantiation. It's just a source. Said the 25th Amendment discussions are staff-based within the administration. 
and with some Republicans on the Hill and that they're not particularly focused but stem from growing concern about the next two weeks and the potential for insurrections around the country. And that's all of the article I'll read. It's going to be in all of the show notes. They, they'll be up at uh, linkreport.us by the time you hear this. So go to linkreport.us, find the rest of the article, chase down the links yourself. Everything is coming from the left. Everything. All of this about the 25th Amendment. All of this about insurrections. All of this about stuff happening around the country. It's coming from the left. They're trying to convince everyone, including you and I, that Donald Trump is behind a massive, a massive wave of violence which is going to hit cities around the country. Let me ask you to do one thing. Ask yourself this question. When have conservative people ever resorted to violence in our nation's history? In our recent history? Not at times when we've have civil, had civil war. Not at, Come on, give me a break. But when? It's not happened. What's happened has been leftists anarchists in cities across America, burning, looting, destroying. Because that is how anarchists, that's how the left motivates change. They have to burn things and destroy things and loot things. That's what they do. Look at the history of every nation which has gone through a socialist change and you will see this pattern again and again and again trust me this violence is not coming from the right it's coming from leftists and they want everyone to think it's coming from the right It's the Daily Perspective. Up next, I want to share with you a post made on Facebook this morning by Nashville Entertainment attorney Lanny J. Case. I've, I've read his stuff to you before. And I want to read this one to you because I think it's important. Here's what he says. There's a scene in Lethal Weapon where Mel Gibson's character is shot with a shotgun in a cowardly drive-by shooting. When Murtaugh finally reaches Riggs to see if he's alive, Riggs, wearing a bulletproof vest, jumps to his feet and exclaims, I am pissed, Roger. I am pissed. Well, I passed pissed off a long time ago. The results of the day have not changed my, my views one iota. I stand by my criticism of Biden Esquire, Harris Esquire, Abrams, Warnock, and the DNC cast of characters. I stand by my opinion that the 2020 presidential election and the subsequent Senate runoff in Georgia was gamed and that political office has been obtained by intrigue. I stand by my concerns regarding the stated policy objectives of Biden and Harris, which are too numerous and too labored to repost this evening. For the sake of my children, I am concerned that a conservative will never again be able to reach high office in the United States. 
We are now officially a one-party country. The fact that the Dems successfully gamed the system, which began over a year ago with Biden and his 600 lawyers attacking state voter law. Republicans were outmaneuvered, outmanned, and outfunded. Yet many naive Republicans still clinging to the notion of a fair fight. There was nothing fair about the election of 2020. The playbook for the Dems was a simple one. Nothing sophisticated. Attack local voter laws. Intimidate local officials before the election to allow mail-in voting. Change rules in contravention to state constitutions to permit mail-in votes during the era of COVID. Canvas and harvest voter registrations from the homeless. Nursing homes at any place where a Biden-Harris vote may be obtained. Then the real shenanigans began with stopping the vote. The vote counts, both on election night and last night, with Republicans leading. The statistical anomalies alone should have been enough to send alarms from coast to coast when considering for a moment the voter registration and voter participation levels necessary to achieve the Biden-Harris vote totals being an unheard-of achievement. Perhaps the most disconcerting fact is the fact that the Dems provide no space for debate. No room for disagreement. No inclination to allow a thorough examination of the vote process, which would either dispel or confirm our fears. The Dems' play was to shut down any dissent, label conservatives as far-right, uneducated rubes, and conspiracy theorists, and then deny, deny, deny. The major news outlets committed the worst news malfeasance of the past 100 years by becoming complicit with the strategy, repeating the phrases baseless claims and attempted coup. To all of the leftists who claim President Trump is to blame for all of the voter discontent, to an extent, you're correct, we see a man who gave up everything to serve our country, and we respect him for that. We respect his achievements and the policy planks which which slowed the decay of our nation and actually restored national pride after eight years of godless and divisive leadership. You chafe at his Twitter feed and succumb to the nonstop nonsense of political propaganda rags without ever stopping to consider our concerns about Biden, Harris, Abrams, Warnock, and their policies. I developed my views and reached my conclusions regarding the election of 2020 from my own observations, doing my own research, and not as a result of a tweet from President Trump or OAN. I'm concerned with Christians who voted for Biden and Harris, many of whom will now fold like a cheap suit when challenged for their reason for voting voting blue, especially if you ask them not to use the phrase, but Trump, in their response. I'm concerned with Christians who now criticize anyone who supports the Stop the Steal movement or traveled to D.C., It is one thing to watch CNN and The Hollywood Reporter repeat the same vitriol and bias, comparing the peaceful BLM protests, notwithstanding the $2 billion in property damage, entire city blocks burned, deaths, physical attacks, threats, to the violent far-right Trump supporters. The lost will act like the lost. Christians should act like they have some sense and at least provide space for disagreement. Frankly, I don't care if Antifa members were embedded in the group that stormed the Capitol. Was that move smart? No. Do I understand the frustration reaching a boiling point as a a result of watching a republic which has been entrusted to this generation fall to a third-world political intrigue? Absolutely. If I were in D.C., I would have welcomed a few choice words with Pelosi, Schumer, Esquire, and certainly 
with rhinos Tom Cotton and Mitch McConnell. I will now pray for Joe Biden, Esquire. No, he is not and will not be my president. However, sitting just behind Biden is Kamala, the squad, Schumer, Pastor Warnock, and Stacey Abrams. Each one more ruthless and ambitious than the one before them. Joe Esquire is slipping badly and will likely not make it for the full four years, which means President Kamala is almost a certainty. I would not want to be the one standing between Kamala and the Oval Office. Will the United States be a stronger nation after this crew gets finished? I cannot imagine any scenario where that outcome would be the case. But as I have said before, persecution is coming. Christians are standing at the gates of Babylon. We must look at Daniel's example. Live, work, love, raise families, and carry out the Great Commission, living in a foreign, hostile land. I will not be silenced. I believe we are God's change agents, and I fully believe that the Dems are full of compromised individuals leading this country down a slope of rot and moral decay. If Christians don't speak out, who will? I will study my Bible, remain prayed up, and will look to help where I can. Don't get lost in name-calling and trying to outshout the other guy. The difficult thing is to express our views in love and respect. It will be very easy to fall to the level of the Dems, using ad hominem attacks and dirty pool. But God would not be honored. At the same time, we must not simply roll over. If the church must go underground, so be it. God bless President Trump. Thank you for all of your efforts and congratulations for all of your accomplishments. I pray for safety for you and your family. Godspeed. And that is from Nashville Entertainment Attorney, Lanny J. Cates. He's right on the mark. I can't disagree with anything he said. As a believer, I agree with what he's had to say about about being in a strange and foreign land. A foreign, hostile land. Because we've been watching the left progressively over the last several years becoming more and more bold about condemning people of faith for being people of faith. It's a horrible situation. Yet here we are. The great one, Mark Levin, has a few things to say. And let's see, do I have time? I don't think I have time. <laughs> Let's see, do I have time for that? No, I don't have time for that either. Ah, oh, man. Well, let me let me do this. Steve Scalise from the House floor got a rousing round of applause for what he had to say yesterday, and I think it's worth listening to here. And here we go. He's introduced by Nancy Pelosi. Recognizes the gentleman from Louisiana, Mr. Scalise, for five minutes. Thank you, Madam Speaker. I rise today to object 
to a number of states that did not follow the constitutional requirement for selecting electors. Madam Speaker, this is something that is clear that our founding fathers debated about as a fundamental decision of how we choose our president. There was a lot of back and forth. If anyone reads the founding documents of our country about the different versions they went through to ultimately come up with a process where each state has elections, each state has a process for selecting their electors and sending them to Washington. And Madam Speaker, in a number of those states, that constitutional process was not followed. And that's why we're here to object. If you look at what the requirement says, nowhere in Article 2, Section 1 does it give the Secretary of State of a state that ability. Nowhere does it give the governor that ability. Nowhere does it give a court that ability. It exclusively gives that ability to the legislatures. And in fact, in most states, that's the process that was followed. But for those states that this wasn't followed, unfortunately, this is not new. We've seen over and over again more states where the Democrat Party has gone in and selectively gone around this process. That has to end, Madam Speaker. We have to follow the constitutional process. Now, there might be reasons why some people don't like the process laid out by a legislative body. Madam Speaker, I served on one of those legislative bodies when I was in the state legislature for 12 years. I served on the House and Governmental Affairs Committee where we wrote the laws for our state's elections. And I can tell you, when we had to make changes, those were extensively negotiated. We would have people on both sides come, Republicans and Democrats, Madam Speaker, would get together to work through those changes, any minute change, to how a precinct would function, to how a change would be made in the time of an election, signature requirements, all the many things that involve a clerk carrying out the duties in each parish, in our case. You would see people come and give testimony. Madam Speaker, both sides could come. Clerks of court were there in the hearing rooms. It was an open process, by the way. Not behind closed doors in a smoke-filled room where somebody might want to bully a Secretary of State to get a different version that might benefit them or their party or their candidate. That's not what our founding fathers said is the process. Maybe it's how some people wanted to carry it out, but they laid out that process. And so when we would have to make those changes, they were in public view. They were heavily debated. And then ultimately, those laws were changed in advance of the election so everybody knew what the rules were. People on both sides knew how to play the rules before the game started, not getting somewhere in the process and saying, well, you don't think it's going to benefit you, so you try to go around the Constitution. That's not how our system works. It's gotten out of hand. And so President Trump has called this out. And President Trump has stood up to it. So many of us have stood up to it. And in fact, over 100 of my colleagues, Madam Speaker, asked the Supreme Court to address this problem just a few weeks ago. And unfortunately, the court chose to punt. They didn't answer it one way or the other. They didn't want to get in the middle of this discussion. We don't have that luxury today. We have to discuss this. We have to fix this. In fact, on our first full day of this Congress, 
Many of us brought legislation onto the House floor to start fixing the problems with our elections, to restore integrity to the election process, which has been lost by so many millions of Americans. And we had a vote. Every single Republican voted to reform the process. Every single Democrat voted against it. They don't want to fix this problem. But the Constitution is our guide. And it's time we start following the Constitution. It's time we get back to what our founding fathers said is the process for selecting electors. That's the legislatures. In public view, not behind closed doors, not smoke-filled rooms, not bullying somebody that might give you a better ruling. Let's get back to rule of law and follow the Constitution, Madam Speaker. And I yield back the balance of my time. Wow. Chairman's time has expired. Goodness gracious. For what purpose? From Louisiana, Steve Scalise. (laughs) On the House floor yesterday. And uh, that is what he had to say. And And I'm glad he stood up. I'm glad he had that to say. I'm glad he did it. I'm glad that he had the the intestinal fortitude, the courage to say what he had to say. It's a good thing he did. The great one, Mark Levin, also has things to say. I've, I've got some. I've got an article by him, and I've got some audio by him, and I want to play both of them for you. And I don't have time for both of them. So, <laughs> what we'll have to do is we'll have to is we'll have to move forward after the break to make that happen. And um, I'm, I'm actually, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm running through something over here. Hang on, let me get that happening. I had a, I had a computer crash. So let's, let's move forward. And, and um, once we get past this break, I'll bring you more content. Probably what Mark Levin has to say about the fact that we're going through a constitutional constitutional crisis right now. So, we'll see what he has to say. Coming up after the break, (laughs) I'm distracted. I'm sorry. I'm trying to make sure everything runs right, and it's just, uh, it's doing weird things. Okay. Okay, let me just keep clicking through this, and we'll we'll get past it and let that finish and that finish. Okay. That, are you going to go now? All right. Here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is what happens when software locks up on you. I've never had that happen before. I just looked over and it just it was just gone. What I used to play back all this stuff, it was just gone. All right, more after the daily perspective. <laughs> this after this break as the daily perspective continues. Yeah, we'll see. Welcome back. It's the Daily Perspective Podcast for Thursday, the 7th day of January 2021. I mentioned that the great one, Mark Levin, had a few things to say. There's an article. I'll I'll leave it in the show notes today, so check in on uh, linkreport.us for the show notes. But he has some great things to say about being appalled at the election of Raphael Warnock. You need to see what he has to say. And then there's also this. This is video from The Blaze, where he's talking about how 
now we are in a constitutional crisis. I've been in the conservative movement really since I was a teenager. I'd say 50 years or so. Fighting for Ronald Reagan's election against the Republican establishment and fighting them every step of the way in the Tea Party. You have to recall these same institutions, while taking advantage of the Tea Party, would trash the Tea Party. Uh, and uh, while they wanted the votes of the Tea Party, they never seriously embraced the Tea Party. Every serious movement aimed at advancing the cause of liberty, serious efforts to get our government back, serious efforts to institute the Constitution as written has been fought, not just by the media and the left, but by the Republican establishment. That's exactly what's happening today. I have read every statement I can get my hands on from a Republican senator, or in some cases groups of senators, who've disavowed any effort to seriously review the constitutionality of some of these electors from some of these states. And that's the issue. I have watched very carefully news programs, including news programs on my favorite cable channel. I've watched how they've talked about this effort, and they too have somehow avoided discussing the Constitution with respect to one, one on in some of these states. And they're doing this for a reason, and I'll explain that as we go along. Now, first things first. Four battleground states I pick. If you've listened to me on radio, watched me on Fox, been reading anything I've been writing, let me just underscore the point. For those of you who are, are new to this, let me make the point. Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Georgia. Those four battleground states were targeted by the Democrat Party, left-wing groups, uh, and others, the Biden campaign, to do what? Well, you can't win the presidency without those four battleground states. The problem for the Democrats and the left is that every one of those battleground states has Republican legislatures. Now, under our Constitution, Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2, it's the legislatures that direct, the word direct, how electors are to be chosen. In other words, it's the legislatures that make election laws. That's in the body of the Constitution. That's not in some amendment. That's not an afterthought. The ratifiers of the Constitution in the states would never have ratified the Constitution without that specific reference to the state legislatures writing the law. They wanted to protect what was theirs, the sovereignty of the electoral process, and they wanted it to be in the hands of the state legislatures. Why? Well, Going back to the Constitutional Convention, there was a lot of debate on how to select a president, on what a president would look like. Uh, there was some discussion that maybe he should come out of Congress. They nixed that. Some discussion, maybe there should be a Judicial Council involved in the selection. They nixed that. Some discussion about a direct vote. They nixed that. And they came up with this genius electoral college system. And at the beginning of that process, they wanted to make sure the state legislatures had monopoly control over it. Why? Because although they opposed the direct election of president and vice president, they wanted the body closest to the people to be involved in determining how electors would be chosen in those states. Nobody talked about governors or secretaries of state, and certainly not courts, state or federal. Federal courts hadn't even been created at that point. 
They would never have agreed to that, and none of them did. State legislatures. So if you're going to have an election for your president and vice president, you got to look at the beginning of the process. And the Constitution tells us the state legislatures, not the state, the state legislatures, much direct how those elections will occur and how these elections will be chosen. So for the Democrat Party, the Biden campaign and their left-wing surrogates, they had to get around this. And they did. In Pennsylvania, it was the most loathsome example of what they did. They had an uh, effort with the Democrat governor, the Democrat secretary of state, and the majority Democrat and elected Supreme Court of Pennsylvania. What did they do? They couldn't get the changes they wanted through the Republican legislature, so they went to the Democrat Supreme Court, and they got every single change they wanted, despite objections from the state legislature. Elimination, elimination of signatures, elimination of signature comparisons, elimination of the postal stamp, elimination of the actual election deadline that was firm under Pennsylvania law, 8 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday. It was moved to 5 p.m. Eastern time on Friday. Uh, and uh, Republican observers, and I go on and on. Other changes were made by the Secretary of State during the course of the election and right after the election on how to count ballots. The state legislature had no role whatsoever, none. In the state of Michigan, a number of uh, election changes were made by the Democrat Secretary of State, again, without the support, uh, in fact, with the opposition of the Republican state legislature, including, and this is the big one, under Michigan law, if you want to vote by absentee ballot, you must make a request. And that request must be accompanied by some kind of significant identification. Secretary of State said, no, 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 no. I'm sending out 7 million unsolicited ballots to our election rolls. And that's what she did in clear violation of Michigan law. What about Wisconsin? Much of the same occurred in Wisconsin, but even worse. You had the five biggest Democrat cities in Wisconsin, leading Milwaukee and Madison, that decided to change the election laws. Among other things, they decided to put out these drop boxes all throughout their cities, unmanned for days at a time. But under, under Wisconsin law, you cannot have unmanned drop boxes. And there's a lot more to this, and I want you to see it. So make sure you check over at linkreport.us today and get the link to Mark Levin's video on YouTube where he goes on for another four minutes about how this is a constitutional crisis. Our Constitution has been undermined, ignored, and trashed by the Democrat Party in state after state. And they do so because they know that people won't object because they're ignorant. But you're not. Hey, that's it for today. God bless you. Have a great day. Let's get back together tomorrow for the Friday edition of the Daily Perspective Podcast. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Oh, we're, uh, we're done.